All right, just a little teaser for you for the series we're going to be jumping into next weekend that's going to lead us up through Easter. And it's called Jesus Is. And we're going to be walking our way through uh, what God's Word teaches us about who Jesus is and what He does and how He mediates before us on, on our behalf between us and God. And uh, all this is going to culminate on Easter weekend where we concluded by talking about Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Uh, but next week, we're going to kick it off. Uh, I'm going to be teaching on Jesus is Healer. And so uh, you don't want to miss that. If you uh, come next week, uh, everybody's going to get one of these study guides uh, for free, very similar to what we did when we walked through uh, the book of Romans in the fall. And I was just, uh, this is the first time I've got my hands on a copy and I was just kind of flipping through. The team has done an amazing job with this. So you're going to want to get your hands on this next weekend to just use it as a daily study guide throughout this whole series that we're going to be in. And um, I'm still, I don't know about you all, but I'm still sort of living in a little bit of a euphoria from uh, Wednesday night, our uh, worship night. How many of you were here for that? Uh, if you were not, uh, you really missed something special. We don't often get all of our campuses under one roof like we did Wednesday night, but we did. And I don't know if you saw pictures and video, but this place was completely packed out. We ran out of seats. We had 150 people sitting in overflow. We had several hundred people tuning in online. It was an amazing, amazing evening. And um, I felt like in many ways, it was sort of a um, bookend to a season that we've been in because a couple of weeks before the world shut down two years ago, we did an, a worship night very similar to that. We had about roughly the same amount of people that showed up. It was an amazing night. And then to kind of come full circle, it was as if God was kind of giving, at least me personally, just sort of this reassuring, hey, I'm sovereign, I'm in control. And uh, we've all been through a really challenging couple of years. There's been a lot of setbacks and pain and hardship and division. And in many ways, the Big C Church has taken some pretty significant hits. There is fewer people um, attending church now than what there was two years ago. But I felt like God was saying, yes, but I'm using all of this as a reawakening of the church. And I really felt like there was a kind of a shift that just happened Wednesday night. And right after, and then in the days following, I've had a number of you come up to me. I'm like, hey, when are we gonna do it again? And I'm just like, Sunday, right? Sunday. <laughs> I'll be here, you'll be here. There's the Holy Spirit. There's the spirit you bring to it. And so one of these things is different. All right, it's like, and so you want what we happen Wednesday night. It's just what we bring to the table is sacrifice and praise because the same Holy Spirit that was here Wednesday night is here right now. And uh, so um, let's, uh, let's do it every week. And by the way, I just want to say this, this is like totally like not in my notes, just unscripted. I just don't say it enough. Like, I just want to thank you. For, it is the joy of my life uh, to serve you and to be your pastor. There are a number of pastors right now that are just dropping like flies. They're burning out. They're hurting. I've talked to them weekly. And uh, that is just not my experience with you guys. You guys make it such a joy to serve you. And uh, so take that for what it's worth. I really, really love being here. Well... Um, we are uh, bringing this uh, series that we have been in since the beginning of the year to a close. And so what that means is we're getting ready to land the plane on this. If you are just now joining us, we have been walking our way through one of the greatest sermons ever preached of all time. It's recorded in Matthew chapters five through seven. It's a sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus has been on a hillside. It's taken him several days, most likely to unpack this teaching. And if you've been here through all of it with us, you, you've likely would agree with me, I think, that there are parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are incredibly accessible and very clarifying. 
And then there's other parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are somewhat disorienting, and we wonder uh, if we'll ever attain it. And it's as if Jesus sort of is raising the bar uh, for us. And honestly, there's a lot of difficult things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. It is simultaneously clarifying and disorienting. And so we got to understand what Jesus is trying to do and what he's not doing. Like, what is he saying and what is he not saying? Uh, If you recall on week number one, um, I mentioned that the Sermon on the Mount is easily misread. It's often mistaught, therefore can be misapplied. And we didn't want to do that. And so what the Sermon on the Mount is not is it is not a list of virtues per se. Now there are virtues in it, but it's not a list of virtues that we're just trying to live out. It's not a moral checklist. You know, if I do all these things, then that equals being a good person. And it is certainly not a formula for salvation. Do all these things and it will secure it because my salvation is not based upon my works. Like what I bring to the table, it's totally based on Jesus. So what is Jesus driving out with the Sermon on the Mount? And here's what we've been saying every single week of the series is that Jesus is offering an explanation of the kingdom in which he is king. That's pretty quiet, right? It's like... This is his kingdom, so he's explaining how it works, and he's explaining the values of his kingdom. And so Jesus, what we often don't don't realize is that God created the world as he wanted it to be, as he intended it to be, in perfection, um, between us uh, horizontally and us vertically with God, and our sin, pride, and rebellion messed it all up. And so Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom of God should be and could be and would be and one day ultimately will be because he's coming to restore and to redeem uh, and make new all things that are broken. And he says, until that time, I want you as followers of Jesus, remember that Jesus is addressing the Sermon on the Mount to those of us who've chosen to follow him. And he says, I want you to be my representatives of this kingdom coming, Not not some distant place called heaven one day when we die, but in the here and now on earth. The Bible word for this is ambassador. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. An ambassador is somebody that lives in a foreign land as a representative of their nation. Jesus says, this world is not your home. So why are you acting like it is? Like this world is not your home. So why are you surprised that things are so messed up? Of course they're messed up. I told you they were messed up. It's okay to have political convictions, but when you're more concerned about your political convictions than eternity, there's a problem because you're a representative of this kingdom coming. Therefore, you need to act like it. Others need to see that in you. So what Jesus is doing through the Sermon on the Mount is he is placing a set of kingdom lenses over our eyes and showing us what this is like and how we are to live it out. And that's why it can be disorienting at times. It's sort of like, how many of you have ever put on the, VR glasses, the virtual reality glasses. My nephew has a pair of those. And over Christmas, he put those on me. And then he proceeded to videotape me as I have them on. And you just look like a fool, right? You're just like, raw, you know, it's like this whole world you're walking in. And we're just like, Jesus has set these like VR, like kingdom of God lenses over us. It's like a new reality that he's helping us see. And he says, I want you to live out the values of this kingdom. This is what the Sermon on the Mount has been all about. And last week, if you were here, Jesus uh, gives this very sobering teaching about warning us about false prophets, people that are frauds, scams, they're everywhere. He says this can mislead you from God. But then he, he shifts into warning us of the internal false prophet, that pretender, that poser, that imposter, 
uh, where we just aren't being real with ourselves, with others, or with God. And last week, uh, you know, I just mentioned that Jesus says, hey, on Judgment Day, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to come running up to me and telling me about all the things they did for me, all the ways that they performed for me. And I'm going to simply say, I never knew you. And what Jesus really wants is not our performance. He wants our relationship, which requires us to be real. So last week I left off just by saying, hey, go into the bathroom, look at yourself in the mirror, look yourself in the eyeball and just ask yourself if you're being real or if you're just continuing to fake it and pretend. And God can handle your sin. God can handle your stress. God can handle your inconsistency. What he won't handle is you pretending. So that was all last week. And now Jesus is going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount by telling us <coughs> a story. Uh, his stories were called parables. <coughs> and this is the way that Jesus is going to conclude. And so what I want to do is I just want to read um, the story and then we'll go back through and just unpack it line by line. So starting in chapter 7, uh, verse 24, Jesus concludes his masterclass sermon this way. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let me pray real quick. Father, Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for this teaching that we're getting ready to look at today. I pray that you would help me to make it uh, clear, uh, not any more complicated than it needs to be, and that we would have ears to hear what it is that you want to say. Uh, we're, we're listening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I don't know about you. Uh, I grew up in church. This is the earliest story that I remember hearing in Sunday school when I was a kid. How many of you church brats are here with me, right? Remember, you remember the song that went with this? Right? The, and the actions, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. Right there, and, and there's a whole thing. Like there's even actions on the sand. Like you guys didn't know I could carry a tune, did you? <laughs> Worship team won't let me sing it next week. <laughs> Therefore, because it's the earliest story that I remember listening to in Sunday school, it's sort of, to me, I get, it got compartmentalized in my mind as a kid's story. Like it's, this is, it's a simple story. Like it's not hard to understand. Uh, but it's not simplistic. Don't make the mistake. What Jesus is saying here is so profound. And so many of us, if we could just begin to implement the wisdom of this story, it would give us a much sure foundation upon which to build in this life that, that, we, are, that we are living. Jesus says in the, in the passage, <clears throat> he says that... Um, uh, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. 
Now notice that it, it, there's components to this. You, you listen to it and then you follow it. And he said that equals not knowledge. The word that he uses is wise. It, it's wisdom. And the, another word for what he just said is application. So Jesus isn't just trying to teach things to increase in head knowledge. He's trying to increase what it is that we should know that we would grow in wisdom. So oftentimes a very common conversation that I have with people like as a pastor is they'll say, yeah, you know, I mean, I've tried to read the Bible, but I am confused by it. I don't know where to start. It, it seems really difficult to grasp. And I get that there are parts of the Bible that are more difficult to understand than others, partly because the Bible is written in different genres. And we need to understand that the way we read poetry is the, different than the way we read narrative. So yeah, there's, 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 more, there's challenging parts of the Bible for sure. But understand that I think oftentimes one of the things that we miss is that until you begin to apply what you do know about God's word, God's word oftentimes won't make sense. It doesn't make sense until you begin the process of application. I uh, was having a breakfast with a friend of mine on Friday and we were talking and he said something that caused me to choke on my eggs because it was so profound. And I said, whoa, whoa, back up. Like, you got to say that again. And I pulled out my phone and I wrote down what he said because I wanted to say it today. And I got to give him credit because he said it, not me. And I didn't have to tell you that. Like, I could have just said it and you would have been like, oh, Aaron, you're so amazing. But he's listening. <laughs> so he said this to me. He said, and he's a seasoned believer. He's been around the block. He goes, you know, we cannot apply what we don't know. So like, we, I need to open up God's word and say, hey, thus saith the Lord, like this is what God's word says. And he goes, but we can know a whole lot more than we apply. And for those of us that raised our hands as church brats a minute ago, I'm talking to you, talking to me. Man, there, there are so many things, more things that I know that are just still on the table that I haven't fully applied. Now, I wanna say this in love, but I wanna say it is that some of us that have been in church for uh, a while now, some of us quite possibly are biblically educated beyond our level of obedience. And so I'm not up here to try to mine out truths you've never heard before. I mean, that's how heresy happens, right? It's like, it's the old, old story. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm up here to, to uh, remind uh, the Bible does say this, it's living and active, meaning that the same passage that you thought you knew, the Holy Spirit can actually speak through it in fresh ways that you never heard before. That's true. But there's no new meaning that I'm gonna mine out of it. So oftentimes I'll have people that'll come to me and maybe they've been in church for a long time and they'll just say, you know, I'm just really looking for some deep teaching. Like I just want some deeper teaching. And I can appreciate that because I love deep teaching. I love really good content. That's primarily the way that I, um, that primary spiritual discipline in which I connect with God is like reading books and good content. However, I think we need to define what we mean by deep. What, what do we mean by, by deep? Because I'm not up here to try to confuse anyone. I'm not, certainly not up here trying to impress you with my knowledge of God's word and give you the finer nuances of the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm simply up here to make clear the path towards Jesus. I want to make it plain. And how did Jesus define deep? Well, even according to this passage and others, I think here's how Jesus defines it. Hey, here's the word of God. Read it. Explain it. Apply it. Illustrate it. And then implement it. That's a pretty good definition of deep. I don't know how you get any deeper than that. 
And so if we're wondering like, you know, God, just give me something new. I think Jesus would say, have you applied what you know? Like if not, then, then there's still some, some, some room to grow here. I want you also to speak to those of you that are maybe here and you don't believe in God or you've got some church baggage or you don't think that church is relevant to you. And honestly, the reason why you're here right now is because you're really, really into a girl who is into this. And so you came with her and I'm so glad that you're here. I think that's great. Maybe you're here because, you know, a family member guilted you into it. Maybe you're here because you're just like, I'll give it another shot. But you're still wondering, I don't know that all this is relevant to me because I just don't believe in this God that you're talking about. And I would just simply say to you, just the teaching of God's word. Here's what God's word says about it. It is living and active and it penetrates. And I want you to know that regardless of what you believe about God, um, I want this to be helpful and hopeful to you. So that means when you walk out of here and you go, I don't know that I believe what he believes, but man, that was helpful. And I've got hope. And man, if that's where you're at, you just keep coming back. And I just still wanna continue to give you help and hope. And here's my prediction is that eventually you keep coming back to get help and hope and you'll meet Jesus and he will radically change your life. I'm just calling it right now. Jesus says, if you listen and apply, this is wise. And then he uses this sort of analogy. He says, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. He's talking about the foundation. The foundation of the house, the foundation of a building is the most important part of the building. You've got to get that right. However, the foundation is not all that much fun to look at. Like it's just some concrete slabs and there's nothing real fancy about a foundation. The foundation is also the part that takes the longest to build, but you gotta get it right. Several years ago, Lindsay and I built a house and we were so excited and we had all the blueprints and all the plans and we knew what colors we were gonna paint the walls and the furniture and all that kind of stuff. Couldn't, couldn't wait and uh, went out there on the day that they broke ground and I took video of them putting the first shovel in the ground. And I was so excited about it. And the next two months were so incredibly boring. And I would go out there on my way home, like, hey, honey, I'm going to stop by and just kind of see what progress they made. And yep, still just a big hole in the ground. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, uh, but they were getting the foundation right. And it takes a while. You got to pour the footings and you got to get that thing stable. It is so crucially important to the rest of the house. And Jesus says, here's the result. Verse 25, though the rain comes, and it always does, though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it was built on bedrock. What I just wanna point out to you from that one line is Jesus is not saying if the storms come, he says it's an inevitability, it's going to happen. The wind and the rains always come. Therefore, I don't fully know why I or you am so surprised when they come. It's like, I don't understand why we're going through all this inflation and why it's gonna require me to take out a second mortgage to fill up the gas tank. <laughs> Haven't we been here before? Like just study your history, it goes in cycles. It's like, why, why is a strange thing happening? And Jesus is saying, no, I told you, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble, he, like, he wasn't even immune from it. The storms will always come. It's a result of a fallen world that we live in, the relationship that matters so much to you. And it goes through a strainful season, or maybe it even ends and it's painful. The, the health report where the doctor calls you and says, yeah, something showed up in the scan. The anxiety that you thought you'd work through, it reemerges and it's bigger and badder than ever. 
See, the last thing that you want when you are in the middle of a storm is to wish that you had a better foundation. Like when is the time to work on the foundation? Before the storm, in the middle of the storm or after the storm? Yeah, it's not a trick question, right? It's before. And you get in the middle of a storm, you're like, man, I should have paid more attention to the foundation. Uh, several years ago, my hometown of uh, Joplin, Missouri had this massive tornado that swept through. Maybe some of you remember this. It was a mile wide tornado, rain wrap, so you couldn't see it. And it touched down west of town on the ground, it was on the ground for 13 miles straight through the heart of our city, creating all kinds of damage. It was absolutely devastating. I was in uh, town about within days of after, after it happening. I couldn't even recognize the town I grew up in. And um, uh, one of the things about this particular storm was it happened late on a Sunday afternoon. And up until that point, it was blue skies and sunny weather. And therefore, everybody had their guard down. They had no idea the storm was coming. And there was these storm chasers that were following this tornado in central Kansas that whole day. And so they raced ahead to try to warn people in Joplin about the tornado that was headed their way. But they just looked up and they're like, well, the skies are blue. Like there's no tornado that's gonna hit today. And this is part of the reason why it caught everybody off guard. And there was a, there was a video of this couple, I'll never forget it. It was on YouTube. They pulled into a Walmart to get ready to get out. And that's when the tornado hit. And so they're in their car riding out this massive tornado inside their car. And they're both crying, saying, we wish we would have stayed home. We wish we would have stayed home. Like we wish that we would have been in something more secure. And this is essentially what Jesus is talking about is he said, you know, you're not gonna be able to just dodge storms or just cross your fingers and hope the storm misses your life. You need to prepare well, like you need to build on a rock solid foundation. And he says, here's the result if you don't. Verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, who doesn't apply it, who doesn't implement it, it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you apply my teaching, the result will be a storm-free life. He never once says that. Jesus doesn't say, if you apply my teaching, then you're gonna be able to, to dodge the storms. He never once promises us that. And oftentimes I, I, in my own prayer life, can digress into, God, would you please uh, dissipate the storm? God, would you please make the storms go away? And, and maybe he'll do that. And sometimes he does. But oftentimes I'm, I'm beginning to change my prayer to say, God, would you please give me stable feet for unstable ground? God, would you give me the kind of foundation that can weather the storms? Because Jesus says that that is, that is what wisdom looks like. And it's almost as if he's saying, I'm, I'm giving you through, through my word, I'm giving you all these materials for you to build with, but are they still shrink wrapped on pallets? They've been unopened to begin to build on a secure foundation. So let me just kind of break this down. Let me get real practical. If you're taking notes, we are, every single one of us are building a life. And we rarely think about it that way. We almost always say it like, well, I'm just living my life. I'm just living my best life. I'm just trying to make the most of this. And Jesus would actually equate it to, you know, the decisions and the choices and the daily routines that you make, even the seemingly small ones, those are the materials that you're building this life with. And, and listen to me, you've only got one life. 
You've got 70, 80, 90 years of physical life on this planet. And I want you to know that you are made on purpose for a purpose. That there's nothing that is a mistake about you or who you are. Like God made you, he, he ordained you for this time period in your life. For those of you that are struggling, you're depressed. Is my life worth it? Even potentially like suicidal thoughts. I just want you to know, I just want to speak this over you. That that breaks the very heart of God because you're uniquely made and he has given you this life. And he says, I want you to build well. I want you to build with great intention. And we realize this to be true in other areas of life. In fact, some of us are way more intentional um, putting together like projects or following recipes than we are with the intentionality of our own life. Now, here's what I mean. If you're going to build a house and, the, and you need a loan for that and you go to the bank, the bank's going to want some paperwork. Like they're going to want to know that you got a plan. It's called a blueprint. They want to know that you've got permits. They want to know that you're going through the processes. You've got insurance because it's a risky venture building a house. And if you just go into a bank and say, well, none of that's necessary. I'm just going to wing it. You know, just give me the check and I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to start building and just kind of see what happens. <laughs> you're not going to get the loan. Um, anytime we've ever gone to Ikea, if you ever buy a piece of, piece of furniture at Ikea, it comes in like a jillion pieces. And then you got to follow the directions, which I'm not very good at. I, I get bored very easily. And so I, I start to look at the directions like suggestions. <laughs> and I get like two or three steps into it. And I'm like, I don't really know if that's all that important. And we don't need to do that step. And then you get done with the whole thing. And you've got all these parts left over. And you're like, well, that's not good. <laughs> no, you got to build with intention. You don't wing it when it comes to some of those other things. But yet many of us are sort of winging it when it comes to our life. And, or or we're, we're following after how we feel about something or we're just sort of opportunistic. And Jesus says, no, I want you to build with great intentionality. Remember the distinguishing difference between the two builders. Jesus says, for all we know, they're very similar in every way. They may even be building the identical same house. The difference is in the way they built. And one built on a solid foundation and the other didn't. Now, why does all this matter? What is the urgency behind this? Well, I don't know if you've noticed this. Those of you who are getting uh, a little bit old, like the older you are, I think the more we recognize this, that life just starts going faster and faster and faster. How many of you have noticed this? It's, I, I, uh, it seems like every, on the other side of 40, um, within a month of my birthday every year, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, I will start um, thinking of myself and referring to myself, the age that I'm getting ready to turn, thus robbing myself of an extra month of youthfulness. <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but I'm already like talking about myself. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not 46, I'm 45. Like, why, why do I, why am I trying to speed things up? It's already going faster than it is. And I think that life is just going faster and faster. When I, um, got here, I followed a, a great man who pastored this church for 24 years. And I'll never forget, I, I asked him, I said, do you have any advice for me? And he looked at me and he goes, enjoy it because it'll go faster than you think. Man, he's right. Uh, several years ago, uh, somebody told me about this thing called uh, the death clock. I don't know how many of you have ever checked this out. Don't look at it now. You can look at it later. But you can get on um, this website and you can... Uh, input in your age and some of your health factors and all that kind of stuff. And then it will tell you your expiration date. Like it's fun for the whole family, right? Just, <laughs> hey kids, right? 
Um, so I did this, I put in all my information and just in case you're interested, my expiration date is Thursday, January 27th, 2050. All right, so good to know. I'm not gonna book breakfast with you that day. All right, got other things going on. I mean, I hope that's not true because that only puts me like in my early 70s. I like to live a little, a little bit longer than that. I don't know how true or accurate that, that is, but there's something about seeing a date that creates a little bit of urgency. Like, whoa, like I don't got that much time left. And therefore I don't want to mess around. Like I want every decision, every choice that I'm making. And Jesus, you know what, you know what that is? That's perspective. And you know what perspective is? Jesus calls that wisdom. David says this in Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, teach us, God. Meaning this doesn't come naturally hardwired. We got to learn this. God, teach us to realize the brevity of life. Why? So that we may grow in wisdom. So, so Jesus says, here, here, you want to be wise? You just implement these two things. Jesus says, listen to my teaching, go do it. And then realize you don't have forever. Right there is the beginning of wisdom. So, if we're all building a life, Jesus would say, build wisely, build wisely. So this leads me to ask, when it comes to every decision that we make, and I just want you to kind of lay this over your life, when it comes to the way, like, when are you gonna get up in the morning? Um, what's gonna be a priority? Who are you investing in? Um, are you really working on your own spiritual growth and maturity? How much time are you spending on screens and on phones and social media? Uh, how, how are you doing uh, emotionally, financially? All, all the questions, all the choices that you make. Your, your life, your day is filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions and choices. Why do you make the decisions you do? I think we just got to stop and ask ourselves that question. I think there's a number of uh, there's like a number of lenses that sort of we just intuitively, we don't even think about it. But when it comes to making a decision, I think oftentimes a foolish person will say, well, you know, how does this make me feel? If it makes me feel good, I do it. If it makes me feel bad, I don't. But is that wise? Well, sometimes, but not all the time. Sometimes uh, you need to delay the gratification, which doesn't feel good in the moment. We say, well, you know, will it make me happy? There's a massive difference between happiness and joy. And happiness is short term. Joy is long term. Um, another question we might ask, well, well, I feel good doing it. Man, this is like a mantra of our culture. Like if it feels good, like just go for it. And Jesus would say, well, that's unwise. Um, here's another, uh, what will others think of me? And this is big. Oftentimes we make decisions not based upon what's best. But we make decisions based upon what other people will think of me or how they'll perceive me. And then here's the biggest fool's question. Is it okay? Hey, is it okay to do this thing? Like, is it morally wrong? Because if it's not morally wrong, then I guess I can go ahead and do it. But the best question is, is it wise? Which is the, the question of direction. Like, where is the direction of my life headed? And there is a massive difference between knowing something and doing something. Like knowledge and wisdom are not the same. Knowledge is study and reading and absorbing information. Wisdom is insight, it's perspective, it's maturity. This is why some of the most intelligent people that you went to high school with are not the most successful people. That's real talk right there. Why? Because maybe they didn't have the emotional intelligence to implement into it. Their knowledge didn't eventually compute into wisdom. Wisdom is the combination of our spiritual and emotional health. So all the choices that we're leading every day, even the seemingly small ones, I just want you to know it's leading you somewhere. 
It's leading you somewhere. So I think oftentimes we have to say, well, who do I want to be? Where do I want to go? What is the goal of my life? Now, at a very high level, the goal of life is that with each passing decade, you look more and more like the character of Jesus. You're, you're not as angry. You're, you're sweeter towards others. You're kinder. You're more generous. And you reverse engineer to say, how do I get there? The, the types of, now, this doesn't mean, and it, here's the thing, is that when you build on a solid foundation, it helps you weather the storm. How many of you have ever met somebody and they have had horrible things happen to them and the result is that they're angry and bitter and mean? And how many of you have met people that have had horrible things, the same horrible things happen to them and they are kind and generous and sweet? Anybody know that person? And the difference is a foundation. And all of us are building on something right now. The question is, what is it? I don't know how many of you remember this television show from the 1980s, uh, television at its finest, finest uh, Family Ties. And uh, I want to point out this little uh, kid right here. He played Michael J. Fox's little brother on the show. His name's Brian Bonzel, cute little kid. Uh, but this is uh, him in his mid-20s. This is several years ago now. And uh, I only show this to you uh, because uh, Brian, and, and this is a little bit dated, so I'm, I'm hopeful that he's you know, turned his life around and he's in, he's in a better season. And I only show this to you to say that, uh, you know, he, he, I think he had, had a DUI arrest and uh, domestic abuse case that kind of came against him, all that. I just simply want to show you this. What happened, if we could go back to that other picture, what happened between that and that? And my guess is, is that it was a series, of, that didn't happen overnight. Like it was a series of choices and directions that we all make in our life. And I don't put that up there to judge him in any way, shape or form, because that could be any one of us. And it's just simply a question of wherever you are, you've been heading there for a while. And your life is heading in a certain direction right now, even as, as we speak. And so the question is, is, am I listening to the voice in the direction of God? I love the challenge given to us here at Northwest a few moments ago by our worship team is that oftentimes we have our eyes fixed on everything else instead of getting them up towards God. And if your eyes fixed on your problems and the stresses and the worries of this life, then it's going to take you off course. The author of Proverbs says this in chapter 21, verse 20, he says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. It's talking about the food pantry, it's full. But a foolish man devours all that he has. So this verse is a picture of a fool who in the moment doesn't think that eating that single loaf of bread is gonna make any difference to the inventory of the food supply. And it maybe doesn't with that one decision, but you keep making a decision based upon that same understanding, eventually everything in the food pantry will be gone. See, a foolish builder will overlook the cumulative impact of small choices and eventually pay the price. And I think most of the time for many of us, we're like, let me just avoid the big bad decisions. You know, the DUIs, I'm not going to rob any banks. I want to get addicted to anything. I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. I'm not, no, the big bad, I'm going to avoid the big bad decisions. And that's good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're building on a solid foundation. That's just playing defense. Jesus says, I want you to play a little bit of offense. And a wise builder will build his house applying the wisdom of what God is saying to him through the, his word frequently to the small choices in life. Not only that, but a wise builder also has a good grasp on the consequences of every choice. There's a verse found in Proverbs that uh, kind of make you lose your appetite, but it's really true. It says, as the dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. 
think Albert Einstein said it this way. He said, insanity is just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's, that's foolish. Paul writes this in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. No, there is a direction and a purpose to my life. Moses, before he died, he says to the Israelites these words, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. And then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And I love that picture that Moses paints to the Israelites because it's the same picture that's in front of us. There, there's a couple of paths, life and death. There is blessings and curses. And what God desires is that you would choose life. So what I just wanna ask you to focus upon today is your foundation. What are you building on? I, I said a few moments ago that the foundation is not that much fun to look at, and it's rarely that part of the building, once it's finished, that we pay any attention to. I've never gone over to anybody's house for dinner, walking up the driveway, like, man, that is a nice foundation. <laughs> I'm always paying attention to the design and to the paint and to the landscaping. I never pay any attention to the foundation. And the same, unfortunately, can often be true of us. People can look at you on social media. They can look at the, your physical appearance. They can look at the way you're dressed. They can look at your success and go, man, that person has it all together but they don't necessarily know the character underneath because that's easy to cover up for a while. It's easy to hide. And I just simply want to ask you to just re-examine that and say, man, I may have this fantastic looking house, but the foundation is on sand. And I'm just telling you, eventually a storm will come and it'll reveal it. And in that moment, what are you gonna show for it? Now here, now I wanna leave you with some hope because right now, there's maybe, maybe you're feeling sort of convicted and you're like, God, you know, I, every now and then I'll have somebody come up to me who's um, getting up there in years. Let me just say it that way. And they'll come to me with tears in their eyes and they'll say, man, I just wish that I would have heard this when I was younger. I just wish that I would have listened when I was younger. But now I kind of feel like it's too late. And I always feel like that's such a tragedy when I hear that because listen to me right now, it is not too late. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if on the death clock, it says that your date is this afternoon, all right? I'm um, sorry, uh, but, but um, as, if you're not dead, God's not done. And he is in the process of redemption and restoration. And it is never too late to begin to build well. And you just look through the pages of scripture. And you, one of the, that's one of my favorite things about the Bible is that it doesn't clean up the stories of real men and women who messed up. And so even if the lies that you have told have revealed a sandy foundation, just like Abraham, you can begin to build well because Abraham lied too. Maybe you were unfaithful to your spouse and it revealed a sandy foundation. Just like David, you can begin to build well. Maybe depression has come back and it, you thought you were beyond it, but it's come back harder than ever. Just like Elijah, you can overcome that. Maybe you've totally ignored God. God said, go this way and you went that way. Well, just like Jonah, 
you can begin to build well again. Maybe you've cheated others, you did something illegal at work, but just like Zacchaeus, you can come back and begin to build well. Maybe you've been distracted and you just, you were just wrapped up in all these things you needed to do. You missed Jesus in the moment. Just like Martha, you can begin to build well. Maybe you have failed over and over and over again to the point that you feel like a failure, just like Peter. God can redeem your story. He is a heavenly father that is not trying to shame you into repentance. First Peter says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so Jesus is slowly beckoning. He's slowly, he's, he's quietly speaking into your life and just saying, hey, come back. I got so much more for you. I don't want you building on a sandy foundation. I want you building on the rock. So that way your life can weather the storms. I want you to live with wisdom because I've got so much more for you. My uh, two oldest kids are 19 and 17, but I remember when they were four and two, just like it was yesterday. And we were living in Louisville at the time and it was Easter weekend. And uh, after the services, we went over to a friend's house. They were gonna do an Easter egg hunt for all the kids. And so a bunch of families over there, a bunch of kids. And um, my daughter Campbell was two at the time. So she was the youngest one out of all of them. And so I was a little bit concerned. I didn't want her to get trampled by the rest of the kids. I also, being the achieving dad that I am, I wanted her basket to get full of eggs. And so I wanted to help her out. And, and did I mention that they said that one of the plastic eggs had a $50 bill hidden in it? And I was like, honey, we're getting that one. All right, so, so all the kids were all, they're all older than her, including my son, he was four. And you know, he didn't need any help. He was gonna uh, do pretty well on his own. But I remember I was gonna hang tight by, by Campbell and, and we all go out to the backyard and they're like, go, you know, and all the kids are running around. And I'm immediately like, we gotta get around to these eggs, but she's a lot slower because she's younger. And all the kids are flying around taking all the eggs. And I'm starting to get upset. I'm like, man, she's gotta get some eggs, you know? And, but here's the thing, she didn't seem concerned about it at all. And she walked up to one egg and she picked it up and she opened it and it was empty because <laughs> somebody <laughs> forgot to fill it with candy. And I'm like, well, that's a dud. You know, we got to keep moving. And she was just kind of like, oh, this, you know, she was, she, she was totally oblivious to the fact that there was so much more. And I could use that illustration in a number of ways because I'm a preacher. And one of those could be, we just need to be content with what you have, but that's for another sermon. This is there was so much more. And she was just totally focused on this empty thing that was in front of her. She had no idea that there was more. Are you? Are you aware that God has like so much more? But God's word seems antiquated, seems out of date, seems out of touch. And so I'd rather have this thing over here. I'd rather follow my feelings. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got so much more for you. I want you to build on a solid foundation. And it begins here. It begins with relationship. The prophet Isaiah says these words. These are the words that I wanna leave you with. These are the words I wanna end the series on. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. You wanna know what stone he's talking about? Jesus. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the rock that we build upon. And so today, I don't wanna over explain it. I don't wanna to try to convince you of anything. I think oftentimes when I try to do that, I take the power out of it. I just simply wanna lay the invitation right in front of you because that's what it is. It's the invitation to surrender your life to him. And maybe you're here and you don't have it all figured out. And maybe you're here, you feel like your life is a mess. And maybe you're here and you've got questions that you don't have answers to. And I would say, perfect. 
you come as you are. You come to Jesus just as you are and let him answer the questions. Let him straighten this stuff out. Let him work in your life. But the first place for you to begin before you even get an understanding to all of that is surrender. And so today I'm talking to you. Are you ready to surrender? And if so, I just simply wanna lead you through this prayer. If you would, across all of our locations, would you just close your eyes, bow your heads, and I just wanna lead you through this prayer. And if you're ready to receive this and make it your own, you just receive it right where you're sitting. This is a Holy Spirit divine moment right here where somebody's life is gonna change. Father, I come to you today and I recognize I've been building on sand. Maybe what's even worse, I thought I was building on rock, but it's sand. And the storms relationally, the storms emotionally, financially, in my career, that keep blowing in and devastating me or revealing that I haven't been building on solid rock. And so today I just come and I see it, I confess it, and I just surrender to you. God, I wanna build on that solid rock. I want my life to have intention and purpose. I've been doing it my own way for a while now and I don't really like what it's getting me. And so now I'm gonna try it your way. I'm gonna just hand it over to you. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. I'm not gonna make excuses for them anymore. Instead of running from you, I'm gonna run to you. And so God, would you save me? Not just as my eternal savior, but would you save me as my, in, right now in the present Lord? And I trust you and I wanna follow you and I give my life to you. And I ask this right now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if there is anyone, and even if it's a single one who made that prayer and claimed that right now, can we just celebrate you? I mean, I'm talking about get a rowdy, way to go. I know that takes a lot of courage to do, probably felt kind of weird to do. And you're like, I don't really know if I did it right. You don't need to worry about doing it right. Jesus will meet you right where you're at. And so now here's what I would just simply ask you to do is let somebody know what you just prayed. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's one of our prayer counselors on the side of the wall. We'd love just to talk to you about it. We're getting ready to start a series next week called Jesus Is, and it is perfect timing for you to just come back every week all the way through Easter. On Easter, we do a big old blowout celebration where we just invite people to come and to be baptized. Maybe that'll be you that day as you respond to what it is that God's doing in your life. Hey, if there's one thing the last two years has shown us is that storms are inevitable. Listen to me, more is coming. Now's the time to build on a solid foundation.